0: Hey there, and welcome to The Average Catholic, a podcast for you, all you Catholics out there living your lives who just want to know more about the beauty of our faith. My name is Father Tony, and I'm just a parish priest. I'm not one you'll find all over YouTube or speaking on stage at some conference. I'm just a priest in the middle of Kentucky who really loves the church. And I want to make learning about the beauty of our faith as accessible as possible to people, especially the people I serve. So in this podcast, we'll do a few different things. We'll dive into our Catholic faith on particular topics. We'll talk about what's going on in the church and in the world. We'll learn about prayer and the devotional life of the church. And along the way, some friends will join me to share their stories and their insights and how they live their Catholic faith every day. So if you're just an average Catholic like me and you want to know more about the beauty of the Catholic Church, stay tuned. One of my favorite songs is Goner by the band Twenty One Pilots. Like a lot of music, this song has a couple of lines that repeat over and over again to make clear the message. And in this particular song, the line that repeats is so beautiful and so profound. The line is, I want to be known by you. Now why is that beautiful? Why is it profound? Because it so simply reveals the deepest longing of every human heart. Because the truth is that every single human being, myself, you that are listening to this, every person around you, every person on this planet throughout all of time, the deepest desire of the human heart is to be known. All of us want to know that we are known, that we are cared for, that we are loved, that we matter to someone else. In this episode of the podcast, I have the great blessing of being joined by a brother priest, a newly ordained priest named Father Chris. Now, Father Chris isn't just a brother priest. He is also a brother in Christ and one of my absolute best friends. We had the chance to sit down and have an awesome conversation about friendship, not just our friendship, but friendship in general, and especially the value of friendships that are rooted in relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's those friendships, it's those relationships that are rooted in Jesus that help us to meet that longing of our heart, that help us to know and be confident in the fact that we are known, that we do matter, that we are loved, that we are cared for by God. I hope you enjoy this conversation. so today I have the great blessing of having one of my best friends with me in my very fancy podcast studio, which is actually a table and a microphone in my basement. His name is Father Chris. Father Chris, welcome.
1: Thank you, Father Tony. It's so great to be here.
0: Father Chris is, like me, a new priest, but he is much newer. You've been ordained how long? Um, just a couple months, about two and a half
1: months. Yeah. I was ordained on um, June 12th, the Feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and so I've been just doing a little bit of ministry for the last couple months, and um, thought I'd come down here to Kentucky and, and visit And visit with my good friend, Father
0: Tony, here what, in Louisville. What better, we'll get you to pronounce Louisville correctly eventually. I'm working on it, I'm working but, on it. Um, so today, uh, I thought it would be a great idea, since Father Chris is such a good friend of mine, to talk about friendship, because we're all human beings. What are human beings? My... My AP U.S. history teacher, for some reason, taught us philosophy. And he said that mm-hmm. as humans, we are rational, social animals. And so as social animals, we we are just automatically meant to be in relationship with others. And that includes, of course, <laughs> friends. Uh, so I thought it'd be interesting to share, uh, if you're okay with it, Father, how we became friends. Um, so do you want me to take the lead or do you want to? Take it away. So... We both attended a college seminary up in Indianapolis, Bishop Simon Brute, and we were kind of there in the pioneer days within the, the first decade before the guys got air conditioning upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: back when I was your age. Yeah, when
0: I was your age. Back in my day, we didn't have AC. Exactly. But we were we were both in the college seminary. I'd already entered. I came straight out of high school. Um, and Father Chris, was it community college? You did like automotive stuff? At a community college, I think.
1: Yep, that's right. I did um, two years of studies in automotive technology for automotive mechanics um, at a community college in a sort of vocational technical program. And it was kind of during that time that I was doing those couple years of study that I really rediscovered my faith and became drawn to the priesthood. And so I was um, 23 years old whenever I applied to the seminary. Um, And also, even though I had that couple years of school, I, because all my all my schooling was very technical and kind of hands-on learning, it did not transfer uh, mm-hmm. really to anything uh, hardly. Um, when I <laughs> when it came time to go to philosophy, surprisingly, break systems doesn't translate to epistemology yeah. or modern philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> shockingly,
0: shockingly, yeah. So uh, you and your brother both came in January, right? January twenty fourteen. January twenty fourteen. Right. So I had already been in the seminary. Um, since 2011, August 2011. So right. I was a junior when you came. That's right. And uh, I lived upstairs in the old cloister part. Our seminary was this old monastery in a tiny cell. And I loved the uh, living in a castle because it was literally a castle. It was so echoey and noisy. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite things about my room was the fact that the room next to mine was empty <laughs> because it meant that there was no... Uh, noise coming from that person's room. Um, I didn't have to worry about like sleeping at night because it was just quiet and it was so perfect. And then January comes and we move. Uh, we go on a retreat at St. Meinrad as a seminary. We come back up to start the semester and there's this guy in my hallway moving in, in the empty room that is like my favorite thing about my room. Oh my uh, and I was not happy <laughs> because I was like, Oh no, all my peace is going to be gone. Not a very welcoming person at that point. So Father Chris became my neighbor in seminary. Um, And I think I remember I was actually kind of rude to you. Like (laughs) I was like jokingly rude, like how you are with friends sometimes. But we weren't actually friends yet. So it probably came (laughs) off as really me. But yeah, so we we were just neighbors and we would talk every now and then. Like I don't remember much of, of when you first moved in. Um, I think sometime every now and then you'd ask me a question about something and, you know, cause you're learning how to be a seminarian right. and, and that was about the extent of that yeah. first semester, January to May, 2014. Plus um, so I think
1: with, yeah, with you being a a junior.
0: And you came in as what? A sophomore?
1: I came in as a well, second semester freshman.
0: Second uh, sem- yeah. That's right. You did. Yeah. Yeah so um so yeah we weren't really i wouldn't say we were really friends like in seminary you're always friendly with everyone at least at brute like sure i don't think there were hardened enemies that just absolutely despised each other yeah. but i don't think we were we would call ourselves actual friends at that point so then the summer happens we probably forget all about each other not <laughs> even think about the other person and then in the fall the new wing of the seminary had been built and you and your brother lived down there, right? Was that that year? Yeah, it was my senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happened?
1: Yeah, well, my my brother and I were roommates in that new wing, so I was no longer Father Tony's neighbor. Um, you were living, I guess, just down on the on the further down the hall on the first floor at that point. Yeah, in, in the bigger year. rooms. Yeah. yeah, those bigger rooms. Um, I guess yeah, the turning point. I remember. So the turning point seems to have been the. Uh, soccer tournament that we went to at St. At Mine Red. Yeah. And so I remember being there and I remember playing at the soccer team and, you know, I was not in the best shape and I'd be over sitting on the bench trying to catch my breath. And I remember sitting there with you and a couple of people that were watching the game. And I remember talking to you and it was like, you know, we were very friendly conversation and everything. And um, so, yeah, I, I just remember
0: feeling comfortable with you yeah. being there. And I was, so, you know, disclaimer, I was not playing soccer. <laughs> <laughs> for for people that what? listen to this that actually know me, they would be like, He was playing soccer. Hold no up, I was not. Hold up. He was um, our, our I can barely spell soccer. I was the I was the fan. Um, I was the live tweeter for the seminarians back in uh, Indianapolis, letting them know what was going on. But I was also Mm -hmm. the kind of the the seminary photographer Mm because at at Brute, a lot of stuff was just left up to the guys to do. So if we wanted pictures from the soccer tournament, it meant someone had to go take them. Yeah, that's right. So that's how I I ended up down there for people that know me. I was not playing soccer, Mm -hmm. trust me. (laughs) But anyways. I do, so we were chatting yeah. on the on the sidelines.
1: Yeah, so I remember, yeah, so we, were, we must have been on, you know, we were on pretty good terms, and as you said before, being friendly together, and I remember I enjoyed talking to you and on the sidelines and whatnot, and in between the games. But um, we had, I do, do you recall, um, the Brute team, we had a very difficult time during that tournament. We got really destroyed. I think we lost every game. Think, oh, we lost every game by a lot. Yeah. We also, we did finally score one goal, and that was like, just... The celebration—it was as if we had won the game. Yeah. But um, so we had these sort of pretty grueling schedule. There were three soccer games that day, and we had um, two in the afternoon. I think it was back to back, and I was just feeling extremely sore. Like my leg muscles were feeling terrible, and just popping ibuprofen and like trying to stretch and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, we got out for our final game, and I think it was about six or seven minutes to the end of the last game. So I'm like, I made it this so far. I just got to you know, like survive a few more minutes without cramping up and dying. And, um, the ball, ball came to me up in the air and I jumped up really high to, to head the ball, to do a header. And when I came down, I just landed on my ankle, totally wrong on my foot. And it just felt like a kind of a crunching feeling like my foot had given and it just, you know, pain shooting through my ankle. And then I just fell down on my back and they carted me off the field. And, um, and they had a guy who was like a, a physical trainer as who was a seminarian there at St. Minor. and he was looking at it. And by the time they had gotten me, in the few minutes that had passed since that it took them to get me off the field, my they took off my shoe, and my ankle was like the size of a grapefruit It was giant. Yeah. It was disgusting. It was like, this is not good. <laughs> so yeah, we they wrapped up the game, and um, I had ice on it, and went back to my back to my room and everything. And um, that was where you kind of came in, and uh,
0: yeah, so I over. I. I have this like caregiver spirit about me. I think mm-hmm. it's it's part of my upbringing. My dad was in not horrible health my whole life, but there were times when when someone needed to take care of him and I was the one that was there. Um, and, and he kind of taught me to be that way with other people. So I remember when you fell and it was obvious something was wrong. I remember like dropping my camera and going to find someone, like literally dropping it on the ground and going to find someone. And I was like, I remember looking back like, that's an $800 camera. And I just threw it on the ground. (laughs) like, Oh my gosh. Because in college seminary, we don't have any money. (laughs) Right. So, um, but yeah, I remember riding up the cart with you to help you get back to your room and wrapping your ankle and stuff. And, and I just remember like not thinking that much about it. Like this, this is what you do for, for people. And this guy's not really my friend, but right he's hurt and, and someone needs to do something and clearly no one else hmm. is. So I'll right. do it. Um, yeah. So then we left St. Miner and I think that was the little turning point, but what really did it was you needed to go to the doctor several times. Oh yeah, definitely. Because of, it wasn't broken. No, it was just,
1: just so, about a severe sprain. Yeah, severe, have. which I just had recently. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it was my turn. <laughs> <And> you, <laughs> I wasn't here. You didn't take me to the doctor. You were on know. another continent, Mea culpa.
0: but, um, but, yeah, it was, I think it was those doctor trips because I remember your doctor's office was like a half hour away or more yeah. from the and seminary. and then often
1: you'd sit in the office and, you know, have waiting time. Yeah.
0: So so it was just like getting to talk. And I think eventually the more you talk to someone, especially someone that you that you live with, like in, in a seminary context, you can't stay, like, surface level. Like, how's your day? How's the weather? Like, you can't do that right. for very long at all. <laughs> And so those those trips down inevitably after the doctor, like we were both hungry, so we would go out to eat somewhere. Yep. And then a half hour plus drive back into the city, um, to the seminary. So it was, yep. this multiple times, like on a weekly basis, it was just us hanging out. Yep. And I I felt like that's where we really became friends, and it was just someone in need, and kind of me doing what I instinctually do, not like bragging on myself, but like what I naturally would do to for anyone, not expecting a friendship out of it, and then it happened. Um, so yeah, that's how we kind of became friends. And it it was it was odd, not just because we didn't really hang out before, but also like I remember when you moved in, I had this impression of you that's very wrong. That you were this like frat bro, um, I had the faux hawk. Yeah, the faux hawk, just like cool dude that would like never be friends with me. (laughs) And like probably not a nice guy. Like all these horrible um, misconceptions and mm-hmm. and our friendship has taught me a lot about casting judgments on people when you first meet them because who I thought you were and granted we've both grown everyone grows Excellent. when they're in seminary but who you who I thought you were when I first saw you moving in is not who yeah. you were at all right that is one of the huge blessings of, of seminary is that
1: um, I have several very close friends from my time in seminary, uh, whom I would say, you know, kind of to my shame, if if I had ever encountered this person in, in a normal mix of people or just mm. met them in passing, I would have, you know, just kind of written them off and would have just said like, okay, we don't really have anything in common. This, mm. you know, we're probably not going to be friends. I uh, would, I would just wouldn't have pursued it further. And the fact that you are in seminary with someone, maybe you're in a group with them, or maybe you have to work with them in the seminary or serve with them or you have a shared apostolate, like a shared ministry together, it puts you um, in that space where you can get to know people and you're kind of forced to get to know people and spend time with people um, just when you're out in the world, whether that's as a college student or as an adult in general. If someone, if it doesn't kind of immediately seem, you don't seem to immediately hit it off with somebody um, and become friends, it's just like, why spend the energy? Why you know, mm-hmm. try to make that work. Mm-hmm. And I think there's friendships born of the shared vocation and kind of a necessity, whether that's a sprained ankle or mm-hmm. some other kind of seeming happenstance of, of like, how did we, I ended up getting, you know, assigned with this guy for something. Um, and it's made me, I've become friends with people who I, I never would have become friends with just based on our, whatever, lack of shared interests or lack of, um, you know, maybe just different personalities, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have gravitated toward them. And given a, you know, a pool of hundreds of people, I would not have yeah. chosen them. Yeah. And, and yet it's been, those have become some of the friendships that have been the most important to me yeah. in life.
0: Yeah. And I think back like the, we've talked before, just not with a microphone in front of us about how really you can only have like, I think you call them your pillars. Yeah. Like your you're, you're, very few people and like, I told you who my pillars are. You're one of them. I have four. I pray for them at every single mass and they know who they are. Um, and, and it's every single one of them is exactly that. Like if, if I had just went to normal college, normal university and passed by them or saw them in the student center, mm-hmm. I would have never approached them. Um, and just even our interests, like we don't necessarily like the same things Now we can find things in common that we like. But we don't, yeah, there's not, there's not a ton of like, I don't want to call it superficial, but superficial crap, right? That yeah. we can spend forever talking about, like, Just like what football team we or, like. Yeah. And it's like, and I think that's the, the thing that, so I, I love quotes, you know, that when when we were at, oh, it's so embarrassing, I've told people this before, when we were at Brute. I had my door just covered in quotes. Do you yeah. remember that? Yes. Everyone always makes fun good of handwriting. me. <laughs> yeah, my and my very extra. precise extra handwriting. Um, because I that's a whole another story about why I work hard to have good handwriting. But anyways, um, but I love quotes, and there's this great. There are several great quotes I have here that I like to reflect on. But the this reminds me of our conversation so far. Brings me to this first one. And it's uh, from the Bishop of Phoenix. His name is Bishop Olmsted. And it, a few years ago, he wrote this letter called Into the Breach. And it was a letter to Catholic men, specifically in the Diocese of Phoenix. But there are Catholic men outside of Phoenix, and they're not necessarily you know, totally different. But he, he talks about the value of friendship. And I just want to read this quote from him. He says, What is friendship? Who is a friend? The scriptures tell us, and then he quotes Proverbs: "A friend is a friend at all times, and a brother is born for the time of adversity." I am convinced that if men will seek true brotherhood, the adversaries we face, to, the adversities, excuse me, we face today, will solidify bands of brothers who will be lauded in heaven. Therefore, men, ask yourself: What are your friends like? Do you have friends with whom you share the mission of holiness? often young men will go to the seminary and discover the difference made by Christ-centered friendships and their lives are transformed. That's the end of the quote.
1: Yeah, that is so powerfully true. Yeah. and I know that um, for myself, again, I kind of briefly mentioned that in my, my time in college, prior to, to going to the seminary, I was getting back into my faith. I had spent several years um, in high school and kind of early college very disinterested and disengaged with my faith. It was not really ed- important to me at all. I was just kind of doing my own thing and basically living from weekend to weekend. And when I redis- eventually rediscovered my faith and was like, this is so incredible. And I just started wanting to learn more and more about it. And I wanted to live it out. And I wanted to get involved. And I wanted to uh, share this with people. I was so excited and was like, kind of had this new fire in my heart and mm-hmm. wanted to pursue that. And there was this sense uh, in those initial months of coming back into my faith of being just very alone and being yeah. very alone in that endeavor. I mean, I had my, obviously, like my parents were uh, were very devout. Um, and the, But you, like we were talking about the importance of, of friendships and of that shared sense of like a Christ-centered friendship. I did not have that at all. Mm-hmm. The friends that I had in high school and early college, you know, not really, not necessarily bad people, but just people who, for whom Christ was not in any way the center of their life. Um, God was very marginal, if at all, on their radar. And so once I started going on this journey of faith and, and wanting to follow Christ seriously, I realized that I, they were looking, you know, to my left and right. It's like, there's no one walking with me. There's no one that I'm journeying with. And yeah. that's a really tough place to be in. And if you don't, find those people. You don't find those companions for the journey. Um, Just kind of going it alone, it can feel like, uh, yeah, no one else cares about this. And that was why it was so huge for me when I discovered, wasn't going to, wasn't going to Eastern Illinois University at the time, but my community college was close to it. And I discovered the Newman Center there and just a plethora of young college age Catholics, um, young guys, young, young girls, and just um, people all intentionally wanting to be there again you go to a college environment and it's like if you're there at mass on sunday night you want to be there you're yeah. there because you want to be there. mom and dad are not making you go and that was just really really powerful to discover these other people and it's like okay i'm not crazy like mm-hmm. this isn't just me um there are other people out there and so finding that support was uh i i don't know what i probably would have just fizzled out yeah. if i didn't find that
0: yeah and i think it's the so I, I think too, so I you went to a public high school and mm-hmm. you're from a small town in Illinois where that's the only school, right? And mm-hmm. I have the blessing uh, thanks to my dad's sacrificing, but also some kind strangers who helped pay for my tuition to go to a Catholic high school. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the one Catholic high school in my diocese, not in the city. So it's it's more rural. And I always find in a, in a more country context, at least in Kentucky, the faith has a certain Life to it, and Mm -hmm. and so I was in this context in this Catholic high school where the faith was very much alive. But I even realized, even though I was surrounded, I was thinking of this distinction while you were talking. Even though I was surrounded by people that I would think of as Christ-centered, like Mm -hmm. all my friends. Granted, we're still in high school, right? So a lot of it's forced. A lot of my friends were going to mass every weekend, but also like involved in like faith-based groups in the school the friendships weren't Christ centered. So when we were together, like yeah. we became friends because we did theater together. True. Theater was the common thing that we had. And, you know, and then it became like, well, the, we like the same music because when you're a teenager, you like what your friends like, right? Even if you don't mm-hmm. like the music, yeah. you like the music. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the, the relationship itself, even though this other person at that point in their life had, kind of the center of a relationship with Jesus, or at least knowledge that this should be important in their life. Sure. The relationship that we shared didn't have that. Yeah. And then I I realized when I moved on and, and entered seminary, I went straight into seminary. It was almost this shock because I was used to, like I said, like I told you when I was in high school, my class was very small. There weren't really enemies. Like everyone was kind of just friendly with each other. Yeah. And so I was used to having friends and being friendly with people, but like I said, when you're living together, especially at Brute at that time, because we were so tightly packed in that building, yeah, you can't be fake. All the masks fall away within like the first couple weeks.
1: Right. Living together, it's not a matter of, um, can, you know, can I be nice to someone for math class? Yeah, exactly. Or for this, you know, sports exactly. practice, and then leave it all out on the field type of thing, or whatever. It's like. Mm-hmm there is no leaving out on the field. Yeah. It's like, or and keeping like,
0: work at work. It's, it's, it's all shared. You're with them constantly, right? Mm-hmm. Because you live together. You're, you're in the same major at the university. So you're in all the same classes. Yep. You're d- inevitably doing homework together because you are in the same classes. This is also your friend group. So when you go to the student center, you're sitting in the seminarian section that yeah. everyone always stares <laughs> yep. at. Right. So there are
1: the polos and the khaki the polos and, and khakis
0: you. while everyone else is in sweats and t-shirts. Mm. Um, but it it, yeah, it's just this distinction that that even if there are people who who take their faith seriously, if the basis of your relationship isn't Jesus, and I think I remember once you said to me, kind of when we first really became friends, you said something like the the fact that we're friends is a testament to Jesus because at that point at least we didn't think we had literally anything in common, like. Mm-hmm nothing. Now we've grown to end up liking the same things as we've matured. And, but yeah, we had literally nothing in common. (laughs) And, um, but we were still really good friends. Why? Because we shared the most important thing in common for, for the human person, right? Because we're made in God's image and likeness, we're made to be in relationship with God ultimately. Mm -hmm. And friendship is what helps is one of the things that helps us to do that. So yeah, it was just this, beautiful thing to to go to seminary and and see that value um and how it changed my life to have friendships that have their root their foundation in jesus mm-hmm. uh, because uh, anyone that knows me now I, i'm obsessed with this program at st minard called one bread one cup mm-hmm. uh, i was an intern for their program uh my first two years of college uh seminary And I was able to go there and it was a similar thing. Like I was able to form really close friendships that have stayed close a decade later Mm -hmm. because they were formed in Jesus. Like we shared that important thing in common. And for me as a priest, some people will disagree with me. I don't really care. Um, I think it's important for priests to have friends that are not priests preach and to have friends that don't work for the church. And so for Mm -hmm. me, A lot of these people have gone on to work for the church. A lot of them haven't, but it's such a blessing to have those friendships because they bring, I bring a different perspective to their life. I'm kind of their reminder, like, hey, get your, you know what, in church. (laughs) But they also bring a richness to my priesthood through that friendship and they help me see, this is what a real married couple who's my age, this is who doesn't work for the church, like this is how they live. And it's just how it's enriched my own my own ministry so much, um, and not just my ministry that it's a utilitarian thing, but my life it's it's made I feel like my life so much richer, and it's all because, like Bishop Olmstead said, I went to the seminary and saw holy crap! Like if your friendship is based on Jesus, it just changes everything. Yeah, and
1: that gives it like an, an enduring quality because again, it's not as if. It's not as if other shared interests or shared hobbies or sports Mm -hmm. or music or, you know, theater or whatever it might be. It's not as if those things aren't, those are totally legitimate shared things, um, like sharing life with other people, Mm -hmm. those hobbies. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's often, it's very natural, very human that those are the, those kind of become the portals, right? The the doorway to recognizing what we share on a more, on a deeper level, what we share in common in our faith, what we share in our faith in Christ. Um, but if it doesn't get to that deeper thing of like well, what, what really matters to you? if you don't know what someone really believes, is someone really like what, what are your hopes for the future? What are your dreams? what are, what, is your, what are your goals in life? If you don't get to that level through those hobbies, if you mm-hmm. don't get to the core of that person, then once the outer things fall away, mm-hmm. the, you know you, you're done with sports, yeah. um, you're, the theater, the show's over you graduate um, school. Especially yeah. when you graduate and you move on, it's like what kind of, what motivates that connection, what motivates yeah. that friendship to continue. It's like kind of the reason for the friendship is no
0: longer there. Yeah, so. it's, the, it's the C.S. Lewis thing where he says, what draws people to be friends is that they they share the same truth. Yeah. And I think there are things that bring people together that they're in common with, but I think in that that seminary context that we both had the blessing of being in, you get to truth with a capital T Mm. like quick because that's the per that's why you're there. Right. And so, um, when you share not just the same truth, but the truth of Jesus Christ and that becomes the root of your friendship. Wow. It, what happens when you encounter Christ, everything in your life changes. Right. And so it's the friendship is an encounter with Jesus himself. Um, And it's a great thing. So another, another quote that I love. uh, So we both uh, have a devotion to St. Maximilian Kolbe Um, for those that may not have heard of him, St. Maximilian Kolbe lived in the 20th century. He was a Polish Franciscan priest. And part of his ministry was running a printing press. And during the the Nazi occupation of Poland, he was using that printing press to print anti-Nazi propaganda. He also hid Jewish people in his friary. I think it was like a couple thousand at least Jewish people that he hid among the friars. Mm. Um, And so he was arrested by the Nazis and he was sent to the concentration camp at Auschwitz. And it was there um, a few men had escaped. Mm. And as punishment, since they couldn't be found, uh, the guards did a roll call. And they chose, I think it was 10 men at random. Yep and they said you 10 are going to starve to death as a punishment and as a deterrent for anyone else and the story is and not just a story of the truth is this this man was picked and he started crying out and screaming and and sobbing and he's he said please i've got a wife i've got kids i have to survive like he had the, he wanted to survive the war to live his vocation and and that moment, I love the way Sister Miriam James Highland says it, at that moment, Maximilian Kolbe loved in a way that changed history. Yeah. Um, Maximilian Kolbe stepped forward and he said, I'm a priest, let me take his place. I have no family. And um, to me, and I think to you, that's such a beautiful image of what priesthood is, that radical availability mm-hmm. to, to be able to love people in such a, a, a free way. And so Maximilian Kolbe, the the guards agreed, which was kind of surprising that they (laughs) did. But I think, I think the love that Father Colby had was so like raw and, and real and surprising in that horrific context. It just kind of stunned them. Yeah. And so he was taken to cell block 11. I think it is at Auschwitz camp one, where he was put in a starvation bunker to, to starve to death. And he was the, after 14 days, he was the only one still living. And so the guards came in and injected carbolic acid into his veins, which which killed him. Uh, he died on August the 14th, uh, on the eve of the Feast of Our Lady's Assumption, which it was just so, there's a beauty in that because he loved Mary so much. Uh, but anyway, so that's who St. Maximilian Kolbe is, for those who may not know. Uh, make him one of your heavenly best friends because he's awesome. But on friendship, Maximilian Colby said, God sends us friends to be our firm support in the whirlpool of struggle. In the company of friends, we will find strength to attain our sublime ideal. I really like that quote, and I think there's two parts to it, right? So let's talk about the second first. In the company of friends, we will find strength to attain our sublime ideal. I think that flows naturally from that friendship grounded in the truth, right? Because what's our sublime ideal?
1: Yeah. Jesus himself.
0: Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. And so if the friendship is grounded in Jesus himself and the friendship kind of refers back to that, it's going to naturally lead you to that. Interestingly, when we think about
1: think about our Lord and his earthly life and the way he called the apostles. So yeah. He called the apostles to, to be with him. He called those he wanted. Um, he called those to, him, to himself whom he wanted. And he called them to come away with him, to spend time with him alone, Mm -hmm. to be together, to become his friends. He befriended them. He became their friends. And through their friendship with him, they had to become friends with one another. And Jesus knew that they would need each other in their Mm -hmm. ministry. And every time Jesus sent them out, he sent them out in groups. You see, for example, with like the 72, he sent them out two by two. Jesus knows that he he. Came to make us friends with God by he came as God incarnate and to give us a friendship, uh, re, to restore our friendship with God through His act of love. And He also came to make us friends in a new, in a new and powerful way. And He knew that we wouldn't be able to go out and to share um, the message of that divine friendship, that the, the, the message of God's friendship with man, unless we had each other. He knew that we were going to need each other and to need the community. And the church is always really emphasize that from the, from the very beginning of, you know, like the body of Christ, you know, the vine and the branches, all these very organic images of who we are as the people of God. We're not a bunch of isolated individuals who happen to be bent on the same, you know, bent on the same goal. We are a people who are walking together and journeying together mm-hmm. and we need each other. And there are things that I don't have, that are things that I can't, that I don't possess. That I need to receive from other people. There are things, gifts that I don't have. There is um, a way in which Christ manifests His love in the world. The other people um, have that gift. They have that that the love of of God within them. They have certain mm-hmm. gifts that I don't have in the body. You know, the that's why the different members of the body. You know, like we build each other up. We build each other up to full stature in Christ. Some of us have certain gifts. Some of us don't have those gifts. Maybe I have a gift that someone else needs. And so that's how we encourage one another and build each other up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's totally true that that we're all, or <laughs> for the people that are our age, they're going to be reminded of High School Musical. We're all in this together.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and,
0: um, but it's true. like, And I love that image when you talked about Jesus, not only sending them out in Paris, but all of the images he used, the vine and the branches. like There's a sense of connection mm. that none of us are meant to be isolated. That, that it's only through the help of others that we attain that goal, that we get to being who we are meant to be. And it's so beautiful that, that Jesus models this. He not only had the disciples, but he had I, I, one of my favorite uh, lines in the liturgy is, I think it's one of the petitions for the funeral mass, one of the options. And the, the very brief line is, Jesus who wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. Like even though mm-hmm. he raised Lazarus from the dead, like Jesus and his humanity had this deep love of Lazarus that that moved him, uh, moved his heart when Lazarus died. We hear in other places in Scripture, Jesus looks out upon the crowds and his heart is moved with pity. That there's this sense of of deep caring that God has in the person of Jesus. But I think today, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through Uh, through Christ-centered friendships we very much feel the love of God through our friends through the people that God puts in our lives um that's how that's how God works it always surprises me when people don't realize that like God works through using us as his instruments. Mm -hmm. It's that story you told of the, you told me the other day of the flood. Someone gets on top of their house. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God's going to save me. And a boat comes. No, God's going to save me. And then a helicopter comes. No, God's going to save me. And then he dies. Yeah. And he's like, God, why didn't you save me? He's like, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. I so send you
1: all these friends, I see all these people to help all you these people life.
0: to help you. And you just, and it's, yeah, with our friendships, like God sends us all of these people to be our friends. And I love, um, there's a, <laughs> there's a, a, a scene and a play by Tyler Perry of Medea. <laughs> I Deep, high cultural thought, reference. <laughs> high cultural reference. I never <laughs> thought I would bring up Medea in teaching their, our faith. Go with but, it. but I love it. He, she, he dresses Medea. So I'll say she, cause the character is a woman. Uh, Medea talks about relationships because someone had just broken up with someone and they said, you need to learn the difference between like a leaf relationship, a branch relationship and a root relationship. Like God's going to put some people in your life for a season mm-hmm. and there are a leaf on the tree that you are to be very cheesy right like hmm. god sends this person into your life at a moment when you need them and then they walk away not in a bad manner but yeah. you know And then autumn comes the leaf dies and they're gone and i think for us as priests that is a, a main way i would say we're a part of other people's lives that we have the great blessing of hopping in and out of people's lives yeah. at a moment <clears throat> when they need to know that god's present right like getting called at 2 a.m to the hospital I hop into that person's life and I'm probably only intensely a part of their life through the burial of that person that's dying. And then I'm still there for them if they need me, but I'm gone. I was kind of a leaf, but there are other others that are kind of your roots. They, they bring you life. They bring you nourishment through who they are through, through their own relationship with Jesus. So so I like what Colby says, in the company of friends, we find strength to attain our sublime ideal, which is Jesus himself. The first part, God sends us friends to be our firm support in the whirlpool of struggle. And I love that because it's true. But it's friendship is not always, everything is lovely. Like let's go get coffee and talk about how great our lives are, is. right? And even friendships that aren't necessarily Christ-centered and every friendship and every relationship at some point someone will be struggling and need help Mm -hmm. and i think that's the great blessing that god gives of friends is that a friend comes in to provide support but it's support grounded in christ and so that that friend that comes to support you in your struggle is offering uh, is is doing what the saints do in iconography if you look at iconography, saints, if Jesus is somewhere around, saints are usually pointing away from mm-hmm. themselves and to Jesus. Yeah. And so a friend can come in at a, a time of intense pain or struggle yeah. and sit with you, but also point to the hope that's there. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not verbalizing it or, or like pointing to a crucifix, right. like holding that hope within themselves, I think it just exudes out of the Christian that you can sense it. And they're able to do that in a way that other people can't in yeah. a way that other,
1: in a way that a stranger can't mm-hmm. because exactly just because of who they are and, and their relationship with you. Um, I heard a story once of this kind of this example, just, uh, it just is a hypothetical story, but it's like, imagine that your, um, uh, like car breaks down mm-hmm. in the middle of the country, in the middle of nowhere and you don't have, your phone is not working, you know, and, and people go by and say like, I'm oh, sorry, you know, I can't help you or whatever. Um, uh, maybe somebody offers you water or whatever. So people pass by and they, no one can really help they don't know how to fix the car. And eventually you get a hold of one of your, your close friends and they come. They come out to, to help you and they, they sit with you and they're sitting there waiting for the, the tow truck driver to come. And it ends up taking several hours. And yeah. the friend just sits there with you and talks to you. They don't do anything to fix the car. They don't get the car um, running again. Eventually the guy pulls up with the tow truck. And pulls the car, pulls the car and takes the car away and goes to get it repaired. It's like, who did you, who do you appreciate more in this, that situation? Yeah. The tow truck driver who actually came and really fixed the situation, fixed the fixed problem, the problem yeah. or the friend who came and sat with you for a few hours. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I love that image of like just being present, being there. And that's something that only a friend could really offer yeah. um, in that moment.
0: And it, it yeah. And the, so you probably know the example I'm going to give. <laughs> I... Um, I use this is real life I use this all the time in talks especially when I talk about empathy I think that's important in friendship especially with struggle empathy versus sympathy so that real quick sympathy um there's this great video by a, I think she's a psychologist her name is Dr Brene Brown she's kind of popular right now but she she talks about the difference so sympathy is kind of standing over and looking down into the pits of someone's issue and saying like oh man that really stinks I'm sorry Whereas empathy is climbing down into the hole with them and sitting there and, and knowing you can't fix it and also not trying to like just sitting there and saying, I'm here for you if you need me or not even if you need me, I'm here for you. Yeah. Thank you for letting me be here. Thank you for sharing this. So anyways, so in that line of empathy is usually how I talk to people about it. But I'm reminded of it because of this quote, that God sends us friends to be our firm support in the whirlpool of struggle. It's when my dad died. So um, I was ordained, for those that do not know me, I was raised by a single father. My mother was always a part of our life. She was my dad's best friend. Uh, They just could not be married for whatever reason. And so dad raised me. He was my one constant um he was my closest friend my biggest supporter my fiercest critic in like the good way of being a critic and uh, he had these health issues throughout his life throughout my life because i was a part of his life at the end of his life and uh long story short he got very sick at the end of my time in seminary my last two years resulting from I'm confident when he got his second cancer diagnosis, uh, my senior year of college, even though he beat the cancer, all the complications from yeah. treatment just kept uh, making him sicker. So anyways, I was ordained to the priesthood in May, 2019 at the end of May. And uh, my father died one week later, like exact, Well, one week and one day. So my first mass was on May 26th and then he died on June the 2nd. So exactly one week. After my first mass, my father died and I was not at home. That's something I struggled with a lot. I did not want to leave, but one of uh, another one of my really close friends was being ordained to the priesthood. And I was going back and forth. I talked to the health care providers that were taking care of my dad and they all said, He's got at least a couple weeks left because they can kind of tell. Like when you're getting to the end, they can tell. They have different Mm -hmm. things they can check. So they said, you need to be comfortable going because he's going to be alive when you get home. But I still was wrestling with it. And finally, it came time where I was going to have to leave if I was going to make it. And dad, after my first mass, dad started racing downhill because he had been holding on Mm -hmm. to see all of this. Right. So so it came time where I, if I was going to go, I had to go. And I walked into dad's room and he was sitting up watching TV, like the normal dad that I grew up with. Like he was totally there mentally. And it was just this rare. And that happens with people when they start losing, Yep. losing their mind sounds bad, but that's what was happening. Right. Sure. Um, they'll have these moments where they're just there. Lucid, yeah. They're lucid. Yeah. That's the word for it. And so I got to talk to dad about it and he said, you staying here is not going to make me well, like I love this friend of yours. I want you to go for me since I can't be there and you need to go support your friend. And, um, I got to anoint him just to be safe. I wanted Mm -hmm. to anoint him and he asked me to while he was still lucid so that he would Mm -hmm. remember it. So I did that. And then I left and I called every few hours. I called my mom to check in on him Mm -hmm. and, um, he kind of my friend was ordained on a saturday june the first and then without realizing it he was kind of very fast going downhill and um i walked out of my friend's first mass on june the second and my phone buzzed with a voicemail from my mom and i just knew And i listened to the voicemail and and i like i mom said she wanted to tell me like herself but just in that moment what do you do and she mm-hmm. said you need to come home your dad just died and it's weird because normally when something bad happens you forget everything but I like it all is a haze but I remember everything so clearly and exactly what happened
1: mm-hmm.
0: I looked and my friend Father Andrew was there a, a classmate of mine and I just said "Plain dad just died you have to take me somewhere yeah. because I'm not going to cause a scene at my friends like right. that was a cpe skill a CPEs clinical pastoral education where you're you do a time as a hospital chaplain and one of the skills they really focus on is like if something's coming up in you you got to hold it together for the sake of the other people and then once you're away you can lose right. your mind right <laughs> so i was able to hold it together father andrew took me away to first to the sacristy to help get the vestments off of me, and at the moment I crossed through that sacristy door, I just lost it, crying and yelling, and snot running out of my nose, and and then people were coming in and out of the sacristy, and it was evident I need to be not with strangers, right? Because what can a a stranger can say? Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't need to hear that in right. this moment, no. right? So my my friend Father Andrew took me to a confessional room. And all of these friends surrounded me and it was so beautiful seeing what happened because they were living out empathy, but they were living out this quote from Maximilian Colby that they were my support, my firm support. And they all just did simple things. So Father Andrew brought me to the room and then he knew Father Tony lives like six and a half hours away. (laughs) Like I've got to make a plan. So he left the room. He made sure other people were there. Then he left the room to start making phone calls and making a plan of how to get me home because I was not able to drive in that state, right? Father Michael, another friend of mine, sat on the floor with me and just kind of held me, you know, while I was crying um, and made sure that I had tissues. And uh, my friend, Father Corey, um, I don't even think he was a deacon at that point, uh, he Uh, made phone, he said, who do I need to call for you? And he took my phone and made phone calls. He went and got me cups of water, you know, Mm -hmm. to to keep me hydrated as I was expelling all these tears. And it it was just simple things, Um, but they were all there. And I remember I said, because for me, my friends are like my family, right? I remember saying, I want to call Chris, who is Father Chris sitting in front of me now well, Father Chris studies in Rome and there's like a seven something hour time change. So it would have been nighttime in Rome. Mm -hmm. And it's usually, not that you're impossible to get a hold of, but like just randomly calling is not gonna happen, right? And it was this great gift from God that um, I said, call Chris. I just threw my phone at someone and they got on the app that we use and called and it rang like twice and you answered. And I was like, And I told you what happened and there was just this beauty of kind of like what you were talking about with the tow truck, but in a much deeper way. You did not say anything at all, but I knew that one of my best friends was sitting with me, even though he was several thousand miles away. Mm -hmm. And there was this great comfort in that moment of knowing that this person that cares about me, that is such a close friend Mm -hmm. is just letting me wake them up in the middle of the night and just cry Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a room full of people with him on speakerphone. Yeah. It it was just that, that beautiful gift of what I think it, it, God designed it in this way for everything to happen as it did, because God knew that I would need the support of these friends Mm -hmm. to help me in that, Moment of pain, and to be that support to point out where Christ was present just by their own faith. Um, I've been talking a long time, sorry, (laughs) it's okay, it's it's such a beautiful, beautiful story. I think, um,
1: uh, I just reminded I was thinking of this earlier, and then your story kind of gave a really just powerful, concrete example of it. And Jesus says, During the whole Last Supper kind of discourses and especially like in, in the gospel of John chapter 13 to chapter 17 kind of like almost like a treatise of friendship is found mm-hmm. throughout those those um, really powerful moments and there, are, there are, our Lord Jesus says to the apostles um, you know his new commandment is love one another as I have loved you and he says yeah. by this will men know that you are my disciples if you love one another and I think of that you know not it's not simply you know men will know people will know you're my disciples if they see you praying a lot, or if they you know see you doing service and things and all these are very good things, but it's like he specifically pointed out if you love one another
0: mm-hmm.
1: like that is how people should look at us and see like we love one another. There's an early one of the church fathers talks about how the pagans were the the pagan world was mm-hmm. converted to Christianity. And he quotes some of them as saying, you know, seeing the the Christians and how they took care of each other in a a way that no one would have ever expected um, people to take care of each other that way. And they were so dedicated to serving one another in in their sufferings and as they were being persecuted. And he quotes them as saying, see how they love one another. Mm -hmm. And that seeing how the Christians loved each other was like, where do they get that love? Where do they have that kind of radical communion? And taking it even further, not only, you know, Jesus said, Men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. But he says in his high priestly prayer, he's, he prays that we might all be one. Yeah. And he gives a reason for it. He says that they might be one, that the world may know that you sent me. So mm-hmm. if we are one, if we are united, if we love one another as Christ has loved us, that, that witness of that supernatural love that's been poured into our hearts by God that we share amongst each other. hmm that's going to be what makes people believe that Jesus is the one sent from the Father. Mm-hmm. Like, people's ability to recognize Jesus as the Savior of the world depends in part on our ability to to have experienced that love ourselves and then to let it be manifested amongst each other. And then it just overflows out to not only our friends, not only our fellow Christians, but it spills out into the broader world. And that's just such a beautiful image, I think, of, like, Jesus started... <laughs> Christianity, the, the religion of love, the religion of healing. He exploded. He set the world on fire yeah. with love. I want, I want the world to be on fire, and he did that by radi- radically changing the lives of a, you know a handful of very simple, uneducated people yeah. with love. Yeah. And how many people, you know, were actually got to encounter Jesus in person during his earthly time? How many people got to be his close companions and close friends? How many people even got to see his sacrifice on the cross?
0: Yeah. You know, it's like not even the not even his closest friends did right. A lot of them were not even there for They abandoned him in that moment, but he loved them through that, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's so beautiful that it is it is that love. And I, I think that's the thing is that our culture can love has been watered down so much. Like we say, I, I I've given a homily on this before, where I wish in the English language we had multiple words for love as they do in Greek, right? Because right. we say, "Oh, I love." this blackberry bubbly water that father Chris brought me. It is good. It's really good water. Um, not sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but like, I, how can I say I love this and I love my friend, father Chris, and I love my mom and I love Jesus. And they all mean the same thing. Like, <laughs> and I love that painting on the back of, you know, behind you. Like yeah. that's not the same thing. Sure. And it, it, I think love has become so watered down is what comes to mind, it but cheapened it, or... it cheapened and it's love is hard work. And it like, what's love for the Christian? Why do Catholics have this obsession with the crucifixion? Because it's love. Like mm-hmm. it is the greatest image of love that the human being will ever see Yeah, that God himself <laughs> chose not only to die on the cross and defeat death in the resurrection, but to be present in the darkest and most painful of human sufferings like there is no that's uh, sister miriam james Highland, who i love and you know and i i she's just this phenomenal woman i've never even met her but i've listened to her give a bunch of talks and she says the fascinating privilege of suffering is that there is nothing that the human being can endure where god has not already been there first and god is not already there at the moment like that's love, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's why I like that quote from Maximilian and Colby that friends are our firm support in the whirlpool of struggle because God is our firm support in the whirlpool of struggle. Mm-hmm. And like we said earlier, God is using the people he puts in your life to manifest his will to you, to show you of the depth of his love and his care for you. Mm-hmm. The, and that's, I, I tell my parishioners all the time and they probably get sick of me hearing it, The work of evangelization in the church is not the work of the priests. It properly belongs to the lay faithful. Because when I walk out and I go to Target in my collar, people are already making all their suppositions about me. What they think of the Catholic Church, what they think of who a priest is, blah, blah, blah. And I can give witness and how I live joyfully when I'm wearing a collar and, and people know that I'm a priest. But how much more powerful is it to see an ordinary person in the workplace, in the office, mm-hmm. who just exudes this love and this joy, and it's, it's attractive, right? People see it, and this is why I tell people I don't know that they believe me. Like When you live a life of love, when you're in touch with that love that Jesus has for you, especially including through the people he's putting in your life and their love of you and your love of them— like when you live that and you own it and you try to share it, it's attractive and people will want to know what brings you to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have the privilege of saying it's Jesus Christ. Yeah. And what a powerful witness that can be that this ordinary person who, who works a desk job in a cubicle mm-hmm. is this powerful witness to Jesus Christ because of love. Mm-hmm. Because of the relationships that they have in their in their ordinary everyday lives, but that they're willing to to let that imp- influence how they live. Yeah. Right.
1: It's kind of you know like the vine and the branches image again. It's like mm-hmm. you know how far does you know if you think about um, you know a priest is one one person and mm-hmm. in a parish, how far does one of the you know kind of the main branches, if you want to call it that, for, for the sake of like the you know the image, uh, how does one, how far does one of the main branches extend? versus how far do the smaller branches and all the leaves extend out. And it's like the reach of the people of God, like the people of God are immersed in the world and they're in every nook and cranny of society, in Mm -hmm. every profession, in schools, in homes, in government, in public life, um, in healthcare, in all these different aspects, in all these different dimensions of society. It's like, that is where the body of Christ extends. There's that beautiful quote from St. Teresa of Avila so, you know, Christ has no body now on earth, but yours. Mm-hmm. Like Christ, we become his body. We receive him, especially you know, in the Eucharist, baptism in the Eucharist. And we become the members of his body that go out to all the world. Like we we extend his love, like the body of Christ uh, that is the people of God makes Christ present throughout the world in a way that even Christ himself, in terms of his ability to encounter people humanly. As I said before, like how many people could Christ encounter individually as a man walking around on the exactly. earth in like, Palestine there you know, are yeah. limits
0: like right. god yeah. is god can do anything but in choosing to become one of us he put limits on himself right, right? like yeah. i'm choosing to be on earth in a body walking around mm-hmm. at this specific time for 33 years yeah the church like that's nothing even compared to the life of the church, like 33 years, right? Like it takes that long to get a light bulb changed sometimes, (laughs) right? Like it it just, yeah, it's just this, this great beauty. Mm -hmm. So I have kind of another quote. And I also want to talk about this image that you brought. Um, So the quotes from C.S. Lewis, and I think it it reminds me of God's providence. Um, And you actually are the one that introduced me to this quote. So this is C.S. Lewis. It's from his book, The Four Loves. In friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting. Any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work christ who said to the disciples you have not chosen me but i have chosen you can truly say to every group of christian friends you have not chosen one another but i have chosen you for one another the friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste in finding one another out it is the instrument by which god reveals to each of us the beauties of others uh, Clive, <laughs> Clive Stables, you beast!
1: Oh my gosh!
0: But it's so good. Like it reminds me of God's providence, right? Like how in my life, I'm sure in your life, God has put people where He needed to put them, mm-hmm. and and you're the one across from me. Like God has put you in my life in in the times, not for this consistency for several years now but also like at moments where i really needed someone you responded to a text that i had sent you maybe the day before and it's like can i talk to you right now (laughs) like you know and and when my father died and and all of these things and just that like there are so many things that could like god in his providence made me love photography and you know, made me want to go to the St. Minor's soccer tournament and allowed you to hurt your ankle, yeah. <laughs> right. To, yeah. to make this friend, to forge this friendship. Right. And, and it's been a, a, a really rewarding, beautiful thing. So I think it's an encouragement to people to, to pay attention to who God puts in your life and not that you need to like hone in on an obsess over people, but like be grateful for those people and mm-hmm. see, where those like, don't be afraid to bring Christ into the friendship if he is not there. Yeah. Right. There's a, um, a quote I read somewhere. I think it might've been a saint, like the, the friendship that can cease was not real. <laughs> right. So like, mm. uh, if you bring Jesus into the relationship, into the friendship and it ends the friendship, that's not a true friendship. Then Yep. that was a superficial thing. Right. Yeah.
1: It's also worth, um, you know, I, Challenge everybody listening to, it's yes. Like on the one hand, be grateful for those relationships you have that are based on Christ. Um, praise God for those and lean into those relationships because those are the relationships that are going to sustain you and them in your faith and in your relationship with Christ. And relationships where you can, where possible, try to maybe that's not really an explicit part of your relationship. You know, bring it up to try to have com- more conversations of consequence and try to mm. see if Christ can be brought into, especially if you know that the other person is Catholic or Christian. Yeah. Um, and like, just like maybe for whatever reason, like this is just one of my sports friends or this is just my friend who I work with. And it's like, well, I don't, you know, why why should we make faith a part of it? And it's like, if Christ is the center of my life, like how could it not be a part of, of every friendship I have? Um. And But also the challenging part is, examining those relationships or friendships where someone maybe is not only is Christ not the center of their life, but my friendship with them is taking me further away from Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never forget when I was just kind of first still getting back into my faith in my early college years, I heard a homily from Father Mike Schmitz uh, on, on the podcast. And he had, he had said, talking about these relationships that take us away from Christ and I had this same objection. He, he quoted this objection that people will say whenever those relationships are challenged or, you know, someone calls that mm-hmm. out and people will, will often say, oh, but father or, you know, but, but I'm but I'm helping them. Yeah. Like I'm I'm going to be I want to be a good influence on in them or I want to to help them, you know, come to know God or I want to be a, a good example in their life. And it's like that is a, a beautiful and a holy thing. And that's mm-hmm. a great goal. Um, But we also have to be honest with ourselves and with God about where those relationships have brought us. And uh, what Father Mark Schmidt said was, okay, you're helping them. Good. Um, You've been friends with this person for three years or five years or 15 years or 30 years. In that time, how much have you helped them and how much have they held you back? Yeah. And that was really, I felt totally convicted by that word that he said and it's not that maybe people can't re-enter your life um, or maybe you, there's not a way to salvage a relationship but sometimes we can be in relationships that are kind of toxic and I mm-hmm. had to I had to just basically end relationships that I had relationships from high school and college and that's not fun like yeah. it was painful and it was also like the best possible thing I could have yeah. done at that time and even the sense of kind of like I talked about earlier feeling alone mm-hmm. Um, I needed to experience that kind of loneliness in order to, for the desire for a holy friendships yeah. to arise in me. And like, as long as I was just kind of distracting myself and entertaining myself. And I had lots of playmates. That's mm-hmm. what I like to call them. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you're a little kid, you have other kids you play with. And I had a lot of adult playmates, people that I had fun with, people who were entertaining, people who kept me from feeling bored but I needed those relationships to some of them to end in order to make space for... We only have so much time. We only have so much time. We only have so much energy. And if our a lot of our energy and our time is devoted to some relationships that are really dragging us down, we don't have the time and energy to meet new people or to foster those those new friendships that are actually going to to make us better, to make us better disciples of Christ.
0: Yeah, it's, the, it's this thing of like every relationship a lot of times i'll use it when i'm talking to to couples preparing for marriage but you know the point of you all getting married is to get your spouse and your children to heaven like it's about the other and i think that's true in friendship too the point is to build each other up and really the only (laughs) for the christian the only way to build up another person is to bring them closer to jesus and so if I have this friend that is not bringing me closer to Jesus, it is not a fruitful or healthy relationship. Yeah. No matter how fun this person might be, no matter the, the superficial enjoyment, the temporary enjoyment I might be getting out of this friendship, if, if I don't walk away knowing Jesus or knowing that the Lord loves me passionately and personally, then that's not what God desires for me.
1: Yeah. Or at least vice versa, you know? Yeah.
0: Maybe there are some, yeah.
1: you know, like, do they walk away feeling do that? Do they walk away? Yeah. yeah. And it,
0: it's, and I've been in the same boat, unfortunately, even in, in the seminary. seminary is not this perfect world with perfect people, right? Like, yeah. I've had friendships where I thought we were very close. And then I realized that, you know, this person, this person is not drawing me closer to the Lord. Right. And... They don't, even though we're both in seminary, we see this differently. Yeah, it
1: might not be that they, you know, it's not that necessarily that they're not capable of drawing other people to the Lord mm-hmm. or that they don't have friendships yeah. um, that are, are healthy and, and holy, but at least for you um, yeah. in that time, it's it was not, like, this isn't working.
0: Yeah, and it, it's there's a sadness in it, but it's also, I'm better off, and they are too, that other person is too. And their relationship, even outside of that there are relationships that I've just had to end. I I, be, I am so much healthier and better off, like mentally healthier, spiritually healthier. And I think that other person is too, just having a break off. And I think a lot of times we think that that's negative, but it's not like mm-hmm. I can still pray for that other person or those people. And I do, and I hope to see them in heaven, yeah. but I want to be in heaven. <laughs> And I yeah. need people to help me do that. And to be
1: happy, you know, now. Like, yeah. like and to be his life now. isn't meant
0: to be. Exactly. You like know, God doesn't, and God doesn't wish constant pain upon it. God doesn't yeah. wish pain upon us, right? And right. So yeah, and part of what you said kind of brings me to this image that's before us. We don't have the luxury of having a video podcast, thank God, because people would see my basement. In future podcasts. <laughs> but um, if we get funding we can we can do this. So I um have been praying with this image for a long time. Don't worry people, I'm going to tell you what it is. Um and I've just come to love it and to see this image as such a good image of what friendship is but also what the priesthood is. Um so the image it is a station of the cross. It's I think it's the 5th station. <laughs> don't quote me. Oh, uh, don't quote me on that. But the station is Simon of Cyrene helps Jesus carry his cross. So what's the story? It's Jesus is in the midst of his passion. He's been scourged. He's been forced to carry this cross. And after he falls, the the soldiers realize he needs help. Like, you're not allowed to die on the way to the crucifixion. Like, for people that were being crucified, you have to die on the cross, right? And so um the soldiers realize he can't do this they're certainly not going to carry it so they pull a random man out of the crowd named simon from cyrene and force him to help jesus carry the cross and it it, just that image alone I, i so love because none of us are meant to bear any of our crosses by ourselves the lord jesus god made flesh god incarnate the second person of the blessed trinity did not suffer by himself. He didn't suffer in a vacuum. When he needed help, help was given him through someone else. And I've always imagined Simon must have had this heart that grew to love this Jesus because he would have seen the rest of the way of the cross. He would have seen him encounter his mother. Uh, He would have seen how people loved Jesus. He would have seen the love that Jesus had in offering his life. And we hold Simon of Cyrene up as a saint in our tradition. And mm-hmm. so we believe that he was this holy man because of what he did for Jesus. So I love it because we're, we're not meant to bear our own crosses by ourselves. But I love this image in particular that I have in front of me because it's, a, it's an icon I found on the internet to give to Father Chris for his ordination.
1: Thank you.
0: And it's Simon, it's not only helping Jesus carry his cross, he is holding the cross by himself and Jesus is walking behind with his hands tied and a soldier leading him. Simon has taken on the weight of Jesus's cross himself. And I think from time to time in friendships, for us as priests and ministry, that's what happens. We step in in a very intense moment, and we take on the burden of that cross for someone else. And we pick them up off the ground and make sure they're steady and let them walk beside us But then at some point it's their cross, right? And so they will carry it again, but we will now help carry that burden. We will have our own cross, but we'll also have someone else's cross on our shoulder. And Mm -hmm. it's this, in my mind, I just formed this image of just lines of people with crosses all over their shoulders, you know, and just all marching forward together toward heaven, toward the great love that Jesus shows on the cross, so I, I just think I, I have people in my lives and I call them my Simons. Um, yeah. People that have stepped in who are, who are friends in Christ-centered friendships who have done just what Simon of Cyrene did, helped me carry my cross. But friendship is reciprocal. Like friendship is not moving crisis to crisis. It's also being willing as a friend is helping you carry your cross to say, hey, I noticed this going on, how can I carry yours too? Um, mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to ask for help carrying yours because that's like, I've got a free shoulder, <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, so yeah, I just love that image. I think it's a beautiful image of friendship and of priesthood and the Christian life.
1: And like, you know, like the, the role of the friend and the role of stepping in and, and carrying the, the cross of, of those other people and b- helping bearing each other's burdens. Like, that's kind of the sacrificial or the suffering or, like, the negative side of the equation, mm-hmm. if you will. Like, love is willing to help bear that burden. But because the willingness to bear the burden and the love involved in that, in that offering and that um, sharing of burdens leads to an intimacy, leads to a relationship in which we also... Share in one another's joys. You know, yeah. it, it, Saint Paul says again with that image of the body of Christ: if one member suffers, all the members suffer; if one member rejoices, all the all members, the members rejoice. rejoice. Yeah. And Jesus didn't just say, "Unless you carry your cross and fall after me, um, you can't be my disciple." He also said, "I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly." And he said, "I." Don't, I he prays that my joy, he prays to the Father that my joy would be in them and their joy would be complete. Like. Mm. He wants his joy. He doesn't just want us to to share in his cross. We do that, but because we're so we're united to Christ and to one another, we share in everything. We share mm-hmm. in everything that Christ experienced, and that means yes, sharing in the cross and the suffering, but as a way to ultimately not. It's not as an end in itself. You know, the cross yeah. is not um, the point. The cross is the the bridge or the the road to glory and resurrection yeah. and a life. Um, so. The sharing all things
0: yeah I love that sharing all things and and it, it doesn't mean sharing them in participating in them like in person there when it happens like you were able to support me so beautifully and have it through joys and sorrows from a distance because you live on a different continent mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. part-time I think of this image and I've told you this before like I love theme parks but I hate rides but I love theme parks because I always go with a group of friends and I'm the guy that holds all the bags while they ride the roller coaster. But seeing their joy makes me so happy. Yeah. Like I would not enjoy myself if I got on the roller coaster because I don't like going fast. I don't like heights and I get motion sickness. <laughs> like roller coasters are stupid things for me to get on because I'm not going to have fun. Yeah. I'm just not. I'm going to scream the whole time, not in a good way. And I'm going to vomit on someone at some point. <laughs> But I can share in their joy even though I'm not there. And so in our friendships, we we share joys with each other. Like, I know I've done that with you. You've done that with me. Like a text. Like, this beautiful thing happened today, yeah. and I just have to share it with someone. And we can rejoice in that together. And we are built up ourselves because of that, mm-hmm. even though we didn't necessarily experience it.
1: Yeah. And joy is such a beautiful just reality. The joy and love, um, they're, they're not... It's you know it's it's not a natural resource. It's not diminished when shared. It's exactly. It's multiplied. It's like yeah. to, to to just hold the joy into yourself. It's almost like painful. It's like yeah. someone needs to know about this. And it's just like in our relationship with God, experiencing God's love or God's mercy in our life. It's like I have to tell somebody about this. Like yeah. uh, you know, it's like how hard it was for the people who encountered Jesus. You know, when he didn't want the you know people to take him and and make him a king and make him the Messiah and you know and sort of and things to get out of hand, he had to tell people, you know, don't tell anyone about this. Yeah. And they like, couldn't do it. They couldn't, they couldn't contain themselves. Yeah. And the same way with, for us, it's like, uh, that should be, we should have friendships where it's like, that shouldn't be awkward or weird at all. It should be like, you know, share
0: my joy. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I like that you bring up love and intimacy because I think I, we've talked a little bit about how love is misunderstood, but I think intimacy is too, like, especially for a man. Like, men cannot say, I love you, without it being weird. Right. And it's like, I have friends, I always tell them, love you, mean it. That's my, my little phrase. I got that from my more bred one-cup friends. But it's true, like, I love this other person. What is love, Thomas Aquinas says, to will the good of the other. I want to build up this person. I want to call them on their crap when I need to, to build them up. I want to share their joys and sorrows. All because I want them to be in heaven with me. Yeah. Like, I want to work my butt off to be in heaven, but I want to look across, you know, the aisle of the eternal liturgy and see mm-hmm. Father Chris praising God with me mm-hmm. and sharing in that joy. And and, and intimacy, there's a, a sister, uh, she's a member of the Daughters of St. Paul, Sister Helena Burns, or mm-hmm. I think it's Burns, and she, she calls inti- intimacy into me see. Yeah. When the modern ear hears intimacy, we think sex. And so yeah. people having an intimate relationship is like, oh, right. do not that's weird. No, it's yeah. seeing into the other person's heart and soul, like seeing them as Jesus sees them, seeing them as we're meant to be seen. Mm-hmm. And that, as you said so beautifully, it none of that can diminish. God's giving us that in his abundance and in the greatness of his mercy. Like he's pouring this out on us to share. And a, a liturgical image, because I'm me, and I love liturgical imagery, the, it, the perfect image of that is at the Easter Vigil, when we light the Paschal Flame, which yes. is the representation of Christ, right? And it, which is perfect because it's like the burning of God's love, the, 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 yeah. the fire of the light God's Light shining love, in the darkness. Yeah. Light shining through the darkness. But it's in the Exalted, light that as it spread does not dim. I I can't remember the exact wording of it unless I sing the exultate to myself, which I'm not going to (laughs) do. But um, this light of the Paschal candle, everyone who's present at the Easter vigil lights their candles and they spread the light to other candles. And it's meant to show that this burning love of God that's poured out on all of us, the light of Christ that we all carry from the moment of our baptism, Mm -hmm. we literally receive a lit candle, will never go out by sharing it. It's only going to make it grow stronger. It's only going to make it more powerful. And that's a beauty of friendship, that it's it's not just for us. It's not just like our friendship does not just benefit you and me. It benefits the people around us who see our friendship.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've yeah. come to set the world on fire and how I wish that it were already burning. Yeah. Like, it will only be set on fire if people are set on fire. And then that they let that, they make themselves... You know, they come into contact with other people and the fire is, you know, transferred over. It's like, it's like we have to be combustible. And yeah, um, I love that. We have to be combustible. It's got to be contagious.
0: Yeah. So the, why does any of this matter? (laughs) Um, I think friendship matters so much, especially for members of our generation. You brought up that study before we started recording Mm -hmm. that our generation, we're both millennials. So go ahead and cast all your judgments.
1: Um, We don't care because we're millennials. But we don't
0: care because we're millennials. Millennials are a lot of things. We're the most anxious generation. Yes. We're also the loneliest generation since they've been like keeping records and doing studies. So what's the number that you said, like, who identify as lonely or not having friends or close friends or best friends, if you can, and they don't have to be exact?
1: Yeah. It was um, it was about one out of five. Millennials saying that they had no friends. Yeah, which is um, so.
0: Like my heart hurts. Yeah. To think of that.
1: And then, um, yeah, and then another. There was like another like 30% of of millennials saying that they had no close friends. Yeah. So you just think about between those numbers, just the yeah the loneliness of people. Um, yeah. And it's also, I mean that's a whole another topic again and a whole another podcast, but um, it's kind of seen a lot. In, you know with you think about our generation and how much we use social media yeah it's almost kind of seen in proportion to the way we use social media um, basically our kind of substitute or counterfeit forms of connection and intimacy mm. are depriving us of the actual yeah. relationship they're not making people feel uh, less lonely they're making people feel more lonely. more lonely and it's almost like a it's almost kind of like a tease or like a cruel trick yeah. to when you're feeling lonely, to look at images of other people experiencing community and experiencing friendship. And it's just a reminder of that
0: I don't have that. That you don't have it. And what's sad is, so there are two things that come to mind with that. I have the blessing of being a chaplain of one of our Catholic high schools. And one of the teachers told me that the students are more comfortable texting their friends or like talking to them through Snapchat or Instagram DMs than they are having a face-to-face conversation, which just blows my mind. Like, that's the world they've grown up in, but we're so isolated and lonely because of these things that allegedly connect us. Mm-hmm. Technology is great. Like, technology has helped us keep our friendship alive. Absolutely. Right? But that's it's not the extent of the friendship. Yeah, and sh- for sh- so many people today, their phone is their lifeline yeah. to the world around them, and they just sit alone. And... And the thing that so boggles my mind is so much of what we see on social media is fake, yeah. Right, it's like just doctored up, and like you see people, I, like I live in in a big city. I see people all the time taking picture after picture after picture after like changing poses because they want to project this perfect image to the world. Mm-hmm. And so many people can't see that that's not real, and yeah. they look at it and. And that's the beauty of friendship. It's the beauty of Christ-centered friendship. Is that you have the, the profound honor and beauty of seeing the woundedness of another person.
1: Mm-hmm. You can't have You can't have a relationship with um, a facade. Like you can't yeah. have like relationship means that two people are bound together. That you like you were saying intimacy, intimacy, and it's like not into the filtered doctored up version of me that I put online, but actually seeing me Mm -hmm. for myself. There's such a I think a big obstacle for people is if they haven't felt seen and understood, and in being seen, they haven't felt loved, then they become afraid of like, I just can't really be seen. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of my favorite images in scripture for that is um, the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus encounters her. And You know, she has this beautiful encounter with him. He gives her this, you know, challenging uh, thing about like, you know, you know, the man you're with now is not your husband. You've had this many husbands and it's like he was not being easy on her. Uh, He was seeing the truth about her. He was seeing her for who she really is. Yes, in her brokenness and her sin, but also he did not, he loved her. And he also saw the beauty in her. And what's bizarre about that story to me is that it says when she went back to the town to tell the people, The line that she says is so strange. She says, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Yeah. For someone in her situation, in the way she had lived, why was why was that a good thing? Come and see a man who told me Oh, he told you everything that you did? Like you know who you are, like what you've done. But she was both seen for who she really was and loved. Yeah. It's like come and see a man in other words, come and see a man who knows everything
0: about me and still loves me yeah that's the translation i'm more familiar with as she goes into the town and says come and see a man who knows everything about me yeah like who has shared with me that he knows and there's no way he could so like there's something the human person desires in his deepest and mm-hmm. the depths of their heart to be known like that's mm-hmm. what we all want we all want to be known Mm -hmm. and that's what all of these relationships every relationship is about another knowing us so i think any any friendship has some good in it and that we're known by another Mm -hmm. but it's only those friendships where you have christ as the foundation and the goal Mm -hmm. they're what's real because the human heart ultimately longs to be known by god It already is, Mm -hmm. but the human desires to know that they are known by God, right? Mm -hmm. To have that comfort that, that the God who created everything that spoke universes into being is like, gives a crap that I exist and, and loves me into existence and loves me into holding me in his heart Mm -hmm. and, and knows me. And that, that's, that's what friendship is. That's what Christ centered friendship is. Um we could probably talk all day. Yes. <laughs> but um, I think uh I think this is a beautiful conversation. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. It's an um, honor. You are a new priest. I am. And I'm a believer. If the pope can bless through a television, a priest can bless through a microphone. Yes. So would you please bless myself and anyone who may be listening to this?
1: Absolutely. Heavenly Father, through your son Jesus Christ, You've showed us what true friendship is. You've come close to us. You've drawn close to us. Your son, Jesus, is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he has come to be with us and to show us his love for us and to teach us how to love God and to love one another. Heavenly Father, I ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit in abundance upon everyone listening to this podcast today, everyone who will will listen to this. And give them a deep awareness that they are seen and known by you. Help them to know that you not only know them and see them, but that you love them. Help everyone who listens to this to have a renewed desire for real friendship. Help everyone who listens to this to, to seek friendships that are rooted in Christ. For those friendships that are already grounded in a mutual love of Christ, Lord, renew those relationships and make them evermore grounded in your love. For relationships um, that are not based on your love, pour your love into those relationships, Lord. Help us to experience your love for us and the love that we show one another. Help. We want this, Lord, we desire this for ourselves, for our own salvation, but also so that the world may believe in you. As your son prayed, that we may be one, that the world might believe that you sent Jesus Christ. He is the light shining into the darkness that the darkness cannot overcome. And the darkness of loneliness, the darkness of anxiety, the darkness of not being understood, not feeling known, not feeling seen, the light of Christ's love shines into that darkness. And it can only shine, it can only spread and set the world on fire if we allow ourselves to be inflamed and to touch others, to actually really connect with others, Lord. And through that communion, your love will set the world on fire and you will bring salvation to the world we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.